Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm excited to bring another episode to you and to welcome today's guest. I am going to be speaking with Morna Haste, and Morna is the CEO and founder of Revolutionary Women Global. Her company convenes global conversations, events, and epic learning journeys for women, girls, and allies shaping the future of our planet. I love everything about that. Welcome to the show, Morna. Thank you so much, Kristen. It's amazing to be here. And I actually think that's the very first time I've heard somebody read out our our bylines in that way. We sound cool. You, I mean, come on, I, especially when we say shaping the future of the planet, right. I mean, does it get any better? It doesn't. I mean, this is what I get out of bed for. And uh, this is, this is what I'm here for. And I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting shaping the future of the planet comes in so many forms, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a great place to start in that I love this is where you're on your journey right now, but your journey has been so interesting, fascinating. You're originally from New Zealand. You've been in many different parts of the world currently in BC and, and even where it's brought you from a learning and development perspective and the work you're currently doing. Um, I don't want to give it, I, I, I am fascinated. I want to get right into it, but I want you to be able to tell us Morna. Talk to us a little bit around your journey. What got you to the work that you're doing right now? Because, you know, revolutionary women is, I just get excited even just hearing that word. And I'm sure there's a journey that brought you to that. So tell me, how did, how did you get here? <laughs> wow. The, going with the big question. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's curious. Uh, it, it really took me um, quite a while to own this word revolutionary. And, and I'll say more about that. I guess towards the end of, of the, the wee story that I'll tell about, about my story. Um, and it, it's, it's curious, you know, I had an upbringing, I was brought up in New Zealand, um, which at the time when I was brought, brought up, New Zealand was still quite a protected country. You know, New Zealand is literally at the, the edge of the planet. Uh, if you look on the map, there's kind of New Zealand and then there's the rest of the world. And the reason I say that is because there's something um, particular about the New Zealand psychology, which I know is the same of any country you go to, you know, you get a flavor of the history and the people and why it's, it is like it is. Um, for New Zealand, I think there's definitely a culture in New Zealand for solving your own problems. Almost everyone is an entrepreneur of, of some description. And New Zealand has, I think, the highest rate of charities um, per per capita on the planet. And one of the reasons is because people want to solve problems. Somebody sees a problem in their local community and they, they want to solve it because there's kind of no one else coming. Um, 
you know, to, to fix it. And so I, I grew up in that kind of environment and I grew up with um, parents who had traveled. They had lived in five different countries. They were adventurers, sort of pioneers. Uh, and with a father who always had a mission in life, he always had some kind of cockamamie scheme going, some kind of grand plan that was, was well beyond reach. And, you know, I didn't pay a lot of attention to that because I was busy doing my own thing. Um, but that absolutely influenced me. And when I was 17, uh, I finished high school and I went to the other side of the planet on my own to London, England, uh, which many New Zealanders do. It's not a weird thing. For, for, for children basically because in hindsight that's what I was yes. um, and the reason I bring that up is because that was my first I guess taste of different cultures really different cultures from the culture that I had experienced I was living in a farming town in New Zealand very white dominated uh, and then suddenly I'm in London you know the melting melting pot of the planet um, got engaged to a Lebanese guy. That's a whole other story, which, which I'll share on a different podcast, maybe some other time. But it really gave me a taste for the world and the richness of, um, of getting to understand different people and, and the lenses that they view the world through and their life experiences. And when I returned to New Zealand, I thought, okay, it's time to, to study something. And I ended up studying social work and business. And again, the reason I bring it up is because it's kind of this intersection of, I, I love the intersections of life. What happens when we work kind of at the margins of systems and, and where things collide? So this knowing that I really wanted to serve people, that was the social work lens, make a difference. And the business lens, in hindsight, I'm not sure why I did it, but I'd, I'd done a, a business program. Um, and I was fascinated by that world as, as well. And so the, sort of the next 10 years, I spent working everywhere I could. I spent time in the public service and government leadership, um, working in small companies, big companies, uh, a lot of training organizations, and just getting my feet in all of these different places. Um, and then in my late 20s, we, I was with my Canadian partner at that time, and that was our first venture to Canada, to coming to Canada. Uh, and it's where our first daughter was born. And in Canada, we were here for three years in Toronto for the first time, again, kind of working in really diverse places, culminating in my very last corporate job, which was for a gigantic oil company. Um, and I went from sort of working in this oil company and strategic planning as a woman, which is a story in and of itself, um, to essentially being the second, uh, second in command at a really large social service, second in command, listen to me, the two I see at a, a really large social services agency in Toronto, working with homeless populations, working with immigrant populations, the contrast there um, couldn't have been greater. Had my first baby. Um, thank you, Canada, for the year off that I got. It was amazing. Uh, and then I returned to New Zealand. And then that was really my last job um, when I was pregnant. Um, and, and I was like, okay, I, I don't want to go back to, to work for other people. So that's when I really started my first business. Started being self-employed at the time. Uh, and over the next sort of 
gosh, it's nearly 20 years, which really freaks me out. <laughs> um, building this, what's turned into a global leadership development practice. And um, again, over that time, being privileged to be able to experiment and work in all kinds of different sectors, um, to do micro change in communities and macro change across systems, across the whole of New Zealand, uh, and to work in, in different cultures around the planet doing the same. And, and over that time, most of the work I was doing was with women. Kind of by accident, really. I became a member of a really large New Zealand women's movement, um, a consensus bicultural movement, community building, uh, early childhood movement, which is very unique in the world. And um, a lot of women, almost all exclusively women in that organization. And from there, I just ended up almost exclusively working with women. Although when I was doing uh, work in communities and in companies and in organizations, of course, there are men around, <laughs> you know, and that's, and that's cool. But I found my focus moving more and more towards women. Uh, and, and what happens when women are empowered to lead change in their own lives and their families and their communities? to create organizations, uh, companies, businesses, um, phenomenal things happen. And again, it took me quite a while to put a stake in the ground and say, no, I wanna work exclusively uh, with women. But there is a reason for that. There's a, there's a bit of an adult development reason for that. And there's a reason why I think it's women that we need leading the, leading the charge at this time. So yeah, that's the, that's the two cent version. And a few country moves in between. Yes. Uh, two kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I love it. And, and I, I love the, when you have two different intersections that come like that, because I think it's, uh, it's amazing. That's where innovation and creativity and so many things happen because we do take these disparate things and put them together and we start to see them from different perspectives. And I, I think that lens allows you to do your work and the diverse background that you've had in, in such a beautiful way. And you kind of started leading here and I'm going to keep on taking you there when you start to think about empowering women and it, it, you were called to do that work. What do you think? So there's going to be people who are listening to this um, podcast who are early in their career, uh, female, perhaps leaders, or, and when I say leadership, I believe we're all leaders as you're even talking about, right? lead in yeah. workplaces, lead in the community. And then we'll have people who are much further along who are um, towards you know, senior executives who've been doing this work for a long time. There are gonna be entrepreneurs all over the space, all over the world. But when you start to think about the opportunity here for, for women and empowering them, tell me what really entices you about it. What is it that you notice is coming up for you that you're really called to do in this space? Mm, well, goodness, I'm just going to, I'm going to lean into the angle that I want to take and the response here, because yeah, you, you know, you're right. Um, women lead in all kinds of different ways and, 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 and everywhere. And um, I think for me, what I'll say is I'll, I'll bring it back to the foundation of my work. So, so most of my work is I view through an adult development lens and uh, that's my training background. I, you know, I didn't go through all of the other sort of bits of training that I've done over the years to get to where I am today, but I've been fascinated by adult development. 
um, our capacity to grow and transform as we go through our lives and kind of leaving this idea behind that we kind of become an adult and, and then, you know, that, that's it. No, there is a lot, there's a lot more um, for us to do in terms of our growth. And the adult development model that sort of underpins most of my work, uh, I discovered it when I, when I noticed a change in my own leadership capacity and my own ability to work with complexity, to work with difference, to navigate the kinds of challenges that we're all facing in our lives, in our workplaces, if we're business owners, we're actually all facing very similar challenges. Our landscapes are changing. Nothing is really certain. Um, and we can see that in very obvious ways over the last sort of 18 months for us as a species across the planet, what we think we, what, how we think our life is gonna be isn't necessarily how it's gonna turn out. Uh, and when I was doing really large scale facilitation work, particularly in the New Zealand context, um, where I was holding space for, for many hundred like, diverse opinions, um, I noticed something changing in myself and I was really fascinated to know what that, what that was because I couldn't identify it through the, the models that I'd learned. So uh, I, went, I went searching and I found uh, an adult development specialist at, at Harvard University who, who had been studying adults his whole life and um, had a, a model for how we grow and transform as adults. And when I looked at this model, um, the first thing that I noticed was, gosh, it's so obvious to me now why so many, us, so many of us get trapped in black and white thinking. It's either this or it's that. Well, firstly, all of the structures we've created in our organizations are pretty ideal for that way of being to, to show up. Um, but secondly, what it really showed me was our capacity to, to transform and when I looked at the kinds of capacities that were really helpful, women just jumped out at me. Emotional intelligence, our ability to connect with more than this. Uh, and actually so many of the qualities that women have kind of been almost diminished for, or these ways of being that we've, we've tried to... Um, I was going to say schedule, but train out of our organizations. You show up in a certain way, you act a certain way. Uh, this is what's acceptable. This is what isn't. Um, emotions are never to be seen or heard. Thank you very much. Logic dominates. Um, but these ways of thinking only get us so far. And in fact, they've got us to where we are yeah. as a species. Yeah. Um, and so when I really leaned into this model, that's when, that's really when Revolutionary Woman and the form that you see it now was born, because I'm like, okay, there's no question to me that we need revolutionary action at this time on the planet, because we've got some pretty significant challenges to face. Uh, there's also no question to me from an adult development lens, from a training lens, because, you know, I've been training women for many, many decades have worked with many now thousands of women. I have this body of experience that tells me, you know, this evidence base of why women. Um, and the work is really urgent. You know, the work is really urgent. Women stepping into leadership, women stepping into the leadership in, their, in themselves first, because it's an inside job first, right? Always, always. It kind of begins and ends there. 
leadership in our families, leadership in our communities and our organizations and our businesses. It's, it's urgent that we have women's voices at the table. And it's, it's also urgent that we create environments where women can, and I'm, I still don't have the, the best language for how I wanna frame this, that we can unlearn some of the ways of being that we have taken on as a result of the system structures, hierarchies that we created in our organizations. Now, I'm not sure whether I've answered your question or whether I'm leaping off into all kinds of strands. So I'm going to come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you absolutely did. It was, um, and I love the way that you explained the adult education and that journey that brought you to it and what you kept on noticing and witnessing. And so it brings me nicely to my next question, which is, when we start to see this, first of all, as I hear you saying this, I, I, I hear an invitation to women to go back to who they naturally always were, but who they thought they couldn't be because there was an expectation of this version that they're, they're trying to be, which is actually inauthentic. And so when we start to think about creating supports to um, unlearn, to unravel, to, to, to facilitate this going back to who I believe we authentically are as women. And again, different versions. And I'm not putting all women in the same category. There's going to be yeah. different versions for each of us. What does that look like? This is a big question because it's both society and our organizations mm. who help facilitate this this unraveling, this changing, this coming back to who they naturally were, because I do agree with you completely that our planet is in trouble if this yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'll start there. I'll start there and, and I'll say a few things about that and then segue into, into your question. Our planet is in trouble. Um, and it's interesting, actually. I'll say this, our planet isn't really in trouble, we are. The planet's gonna continue. Do you know what I mean? Like Mother Earth will repair herself uh, our planet will will continue, um, although we've we've done some pretty significant <laughs> change to our planet at this point. Um, you know, it's really people that 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 need. It's urgent for us as a species, not only for us as a species, but for all the other species living on this planet um, that we cohabitate with, uh, and. Yeah, the, the work is urgent. For, for me, however, um, the ways that we've traditionally gone about answering problems, you know, making a plan, uh, um, really fall short of the kind of complex challenges that we face now because the answers aren't in any one of us as individuals. You know, we've, we've been, uh, especially in the corporate world, um, sold this kind of dominant theory that there's a leader, there's a hero coming, that we're going to buy into this vision and, and, uh, and off we go. Um, and, and this is, again, one of the reasons why I'm sort of obsessed with this adult development model, because it, it shows the kind of complexity that we need to become comfortable with um, to solve the problems we're facing. So um, why am I saying all of that? because one of the capacities we really need to, to develop, one of the muscles we really need to develop is the ability to sit with difference and not just sit with difference, but understand that that's actually what it's going to take for us to co-create the future. Uh, and how that plays out in organizations is interesting because on the one hand, we've 
you know, we, we create systems and structures based on our belief systems and based on who's in charge, based on whose voices come to the table and um, the kinds of systems and structures that we have now in place in so many of our organizations are built on ideas such as colonization, patriarchal thinking, um, racial bias, um, mechanical thinking, um, industrial revolution thinking, even the way we've structured our organizations is still really based on what it took 120 years ago when we, when we started coming into factories and coming into workplaces. We're really well beyond that. And yet we still model so many of our organizations on that thinking, even, even how we construct our day. The school system was born out of you know, factory workers needing a place for children to go. For all of all of it comes back to to these pieces, um, and so organisations face a tough road because, in many ways, organisations are being asked to evolve, um, and yet the systems and structures that are embedded in these organisations are no longer fit for purpose. Um, so, how do we bridge that gap? Uh, and it, it's it's a, a super challenge. Um, can I can I ask you to come back to your question because I feel like there's another point that I want to make, and I'm kind of I'm going. Yeah, off it's around wings. you know how do we usher in this new way of being? How do we, usher how do we help the how how do we help both the organizations to support the women to be part of that, and then the women to also do our work to be part of that. Yeah, well, I, I think um, my answer to that is twofold. Uh, you know, one is um, certainly in the offerings that I've created in my organization, um, one thing I know for sure is that we need a home. Uh, you know, women need a place to, to come to to practice this kind of leadership. And I use the word practice very intentionally because revolutionary leadership is a practice. Uh, it's, a, it's a process of really tuning into our, <clears throat> our purpose. And when I say purpose, I don't just mean our grand purpose. I mean who we're being in the very moment that we're in right now, um, how we're showing up and taking a being first lens on our life rather than an action first. And the dominant systems that we have created take an action first lens uh, take care of yourself on the sidelines um, kind of focus. Whereas in, in my work, we look at being first. So uh, who do you need to be to show up in this way, um, in the way that you want to show up in the moment that you're experiencing? How do you bring conscious to, consciousness to that? Who are you becoming? You know, who is the version of the leader you're coming? And, and, and how do we bridge that? How do we scaffold development around that and then how do we learn to take more conscious revolutionary action uh, and what I mean by that is how do we take action from a place of being first rather than um, doing first if, if any of that makes sense so it's a so it's a practice and I've created some technology around that that's what we do in my communities we show up to practice in this way um, and we create little homes. So I'll give you a concrete example. Uh, one of the, the women in my community uh, is bringing forth um, 
compassionate leadership, fierce compassion into the organizations that she work, works with. She's a psychologist. And so what we're exploring is how does she do that for herself first? How does she create her own work from a place of fierce compassion? And what we're finding through that process is it involves a whole lot of unlearning how we've been taught to create things, how we've been taught to create businesses, how we've been taught to create projects, how we've been taught to lead. All of it's kind of up for grabs. So that's why we call it a practice. Um, and the other piece that I bring in around that is creating what I call boundaries of conscious intention so that we can really get out of the noise that we're in and tune into this, this way of being. I think there's, um, there's uh, uh, a both and here because um, what I'll say is, and this is the feedback that I get from pretty much everything, everyone that, that's working with me, is that what we're doing is countercultural. Uh, and, uh, and so, firstly, if you want to act in a countercultural way, then you need allies. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you know. Um, and then how does this actually come into our workplaces? Uh, and, and that's where the real challenge comes in. Because again, most workplaces are set up in hierarchies. Um, I had a really interesting experience, inter interesting experience of working with a leadership team in South America uh, that had, um, that had uh, satellite offices across the entire kind of continent, basically, actually, the whole American continent. And uh, I, I came in with a couple of other facilitators from around the planet to help with the change process that they were going through. And it took two days to convince the leadership that we wanted to meet in a room where we could bring people into a circle together and not sit in a row consuming, you know, the change process. Uh, and you know, that's, that's where it's at. In organizations, um, if we are able to create organizations or create systems where people are able to um, come together like this and, uh, and figure it out for themselves, the process actually becomes the product. Because what I know for sure is that the process of coming together to work in this way is what makes the difference at the end of the day. And it's also what I believe in terms of change on the planet. Uh, one of the projects that we're working on now is how do we mobilize uh, women and girls around the planet to be in conversation about the kind of change we want to create or what that change looks like in their communities. And here's what I know for sure. The conversation is the transformation. You know, when you come into a room and really understand and start to view life through the lens of somebody who speaks differently, thinks differently, acts differently, the whole planet begins to transform. I'm hoping some of that makes sense. Oh my gosh. I mean, so much of it is a lot of the work that I do and, and my experience as well, if I even think about leaving corporate and becoming an entrepreneur four and a half years ago, um, I, I, I had to unlearn and almost unbrainwash. And I, I use the example of being in a cage and it's like for a while you're still in the cage and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, the door's open. I can leave it. Like I'm free, but I would still operate as if what it was like with corporate, right? I, 
productivity is a bum in a seat and I need to be there in front of my computer and I need to be all of the doing action, right? Because that, that was my default. And I know why it's my default because of what I learned for many years. And that's right. the, the societal, the cultural. And so it felt counterintuitive, but I knew in my heart and my soul, it was speaking very loudly, like, no, 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 this is yours now. This is your version. And so I was, I would put white craziness. I would put white space on my calendar and I would do that on a weekly basis. And guess what? For my white space, I don't have to be doing anything near a computer. It might be going to a yoga class. It might be walking by the water. It might be, but there was all these things where I had to allow myself to bring in the being. And, um, and then of course, what I noticed very quickly is as I'm in the being, I'm in this ease and the creativity and the, the actions, they all come out of it, but it's a very, very different energy when the actions coming out of the being. Yeah, it's, it's a very different energy. And, uh, you know, I think one of the controversial things that organizations could do is forget about this nine to five thing. Um, where did we get the idea that humans can be productive between 9am and 5pm? I don't know where we got this idea from, but it's just simply not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're not this idea that that, you know, we, we can perform in this way that, um, and that uh, even even ideas like self care for me we wouldn't even that wouldn't even be a thing yes. if we were living in alignment with our human design you know with the yeah. way we are created as human beings um, and we're not built for this kind of noise Mm-mm. you know we're not built for uh, the kind of social media world that we're in the the bombarding of information, the constant bombarding of information, you know, it can be almost impossible to, to see what matters to you within that, let alone kind of pull it out and focus on it. Um, so, you know, in, in, in my world, we talk about creating 90 minute boundaries of conscious intention and practicing how do you want to show up? And that can be way more powerful than eight hours of trying to, grind through yes yes it's not the it's not the hustle and the grind and 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 for anyone who's listening who's thinking oh but we're a workplace it doesn't mean that action and doing doesn't happen it absolutely that is not the case it just looks different and there is a a, there's an allowance of people allow are able to work within that flow and within that rhythm and trying to push it out of people and tell them back to back to back to back meetings. Uh, we, we all know what happens with that, that we, we can see what's going on with mental health and with burnout and well-being along those. It's not working. That's, that's not working. That's not. And, and so the path forward has to look different. And, and I love what you're saying. There are a couple, like so many of the things that you're saying is, you know, we need to have allies and other people who are starting to speak this language and educating and helping people see the other way. But what's also important that you've spoken to, which is definitely been my experience when I talk about humanizing the work and diversity and inclusion, and um, I'm not an expert in that space, but talk to a lot of people and, and, and give them my, my platform to be able to amplify their voices when it comes to um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, the, the, the pattern and the thing that I keep hearing over and over again, which you've spoken to very eloquently today is 
we need to be able to, to listen to one another, because if we're now going in there and saying, this is what needs to happen, change it all now. And we're not listening and we're not creating space for uh, important dialogue and hearing one another. That's not the way either. We want it. We want to help usher them and, and show them what's possible through having really, really deep conversations with one another. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And, and I think that the one of the problematic things with diversity and inclusion is that it's and and I'll I'll just say something it may be provocative that I'm really not interested in equality from a feminist lens because I don't want equality in a system that wasn't created by me doesn't represent me I don't see myself in it and and I think one of the problematic things is we talk about diversity and inclusion rather than co-creating organizations that are fit for purpose you know it's often we have these structures that were created in one way and then we're attempting to bolt on ideas such as diversity and inclusion women you know whatever when many folks weren't at the table to begin with when these systems and structures were created and I know that the more folks we get in and the more people who are at the table then you know things can start to shift and I know that there's you know, for organizations who are primed and ready, there are ways to dismantle themselves right now and co-create in a, in a different way. And, and even just move beyond this idea that uh, moving from the idea of kind of buy-in, you know, some, some group or whatever creates a vision or whatever, and then the job is to kind of get, it, get everyone to buy into it. Um, no. <laughs> no. Uh, and, and I think especially at a time when, you know, what I know for sure is that particularly over this next decade, um, many organizations won't survive. Many of the systems and structures that we've created will not survive. And so the more people that we have who are able to learn how to work in diverse co-creative spaces, the more opportunities and chances we have to create more and more and more of what will work. And you know, there are people who work at all parts of the system, right? For, for me, for the most part, I'm working with the folks who are kind of coming in with the, with the tidal wave of change, you know? And, and I think that, um, I think that, that every actor in the system is important. We need, for me, it's an all hands on deck moment. So, you know, for folks who are sitting in an organization right now going, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, um, where, do, where do I start? Uh, I think that the, the place to start is by creating spaces where you're able to tune into yourself first as a radical act, actually. Yes. Um, as a radical act. Yeah. I agree with you completely because unless you do your own work, you're not going to be able to have the resources within you to be able to do the work that you've been called to do. And, and it is, it is powerful work. And I love the, the, the metaphor around the, the tidal wave and, and again, having the allies and having other people in your community that you can be talking to about this, because it is, it is difficult when you're doing counterculture and trying to go in a different direction. And 
having others, and I heard you saying this too, when you were having these conversations, bringing other like-minded people that are helping to help them understand, yes, it's the circle. Like we're, we're creating something new here. And, and there's going, there's going to be resistance anytime there's been things like this. And now we're going somewhere else. It's like, I don't know, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't know why I don't, I don't know why it makes me uncomfortable. It couldn't be, it could be that you're uncomfortable because there's actually something really good in it, but you don't know what the discomfort is about. Yeah, I think it's a really astute comment and, and I want to pick up on it in a couple of places. You know, one is that we have an epidemic of stress, overwhelm, mental health and burnout in our societies and in our workplaces. And what I know for sure is that it's extremely difficult to create healthy change from that place. So in many ways, we have a perfect storm for kind of things falling down because we're already placing, we're placing burdens on human beings who are already in a, in a place where, um, yeah. I mean, we're, when, you're, when you're stressed, overwhelmed, overworked um, and, and experiencing uh, high levels of challenge, it's almost impossible to lean into creating the kind of radical change that we need. We get into reactive spaces, we go back to our old patterns, we, you know, to, to really get into um, the kind of uh, ways of being that we need, <clears throat> we need sanity. And so often I describe my work as creating, <clears throat> excuse me, creating oases, and I'm not sure if that's the plural of oases. <laughs> <laughs> creating, an, creating an oasis of sanity uh, because, and I'm not talking about not experiencing all of these different challenges because we all do, um, but how do we create a baseline of health and sanity in our working lives and our personal lives? Um, and that's, that's one thing that the adult development model that, that I work with clearly shows that the kinds of capacities that we need to be able to be firstly non-defensive. So a great example of this, I was on LinkedIn uh, last week and um, there was a, a picture that somebody had posted and it was to, um, to promote uh, people using the correct pronouns. And so they had five images of five different people and the woman of color in the image, and you could tell because it was a stereotype kind of big hair and earrings, she was blue. Um, her skin tone was blue. And so there was quite a big discussion about it and how problematic it was. And the artist came into the thread, took the feedback, showed how her work was evolving and was non-defensive and responsive to the reason why it was problematic. It's really rare, in my world anyway, it's rare to find that that's what we need you know, for people to drop the defensive routines, yeah. really listen and, and co-create together because look, I don't know what a diverse world looks like because we don't live in one, if you know what I mean. Yes. Um, we're still really at a tokenistic place with our thinking around what it really means to, to be, to include everyone, for everyone to have a seat at the table and for, for folks' voices to be important. And for me, uh, it was a privilege to be in a consensus-based environment for so long because I've seen what's possible when people 
have are brave enough to enter into these kinds of discussions, it changes us fundamentally as human beings. So if that's all that I bring, then I know in and of itself that that is um, that's a, a transformative a transformative act. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's is one where um, people don't necessarily pause to really recognize the the whole transformation starts here and until we each do our own transformation and um, and it's an evolution and we're never done till the day we die and right. there's so many times where I, I could be conscious or unconscious. I can be consciously have a trigger and then recognize, wow, I was triggered by what that person said. Hmm, I'm going to look at myself and see what my work is here. Or there's the times where I'm totally unconscious and I'm just going right. Like you said, I'm continuing the pattern. It's a pattern. I know I'm staying in the reactive mode and that all takes a lot of time and energy to do that work. But if we're willing, if we're willing to do the work and recognize that we're perfectly imperfect and we're never going to always get it right. And that's okay. That's not, that's not what we're asking for here, but, but also none of this can happen if we don't come back to, and this, I think this is such a great way to finish off today's conversation, which is ultimately coming back to the being, because if you're not creating space and time for the being, which means not always being in action mode, taking really good care of yourself. And I also would love a world that we get to that we don't even have to talk about self-care that it's just happening naturally. But from the, my experience, because I work with lots of high achieving leaders, it's oh, a default yeah. and it's going to take a lot of, it's, it's a lot of time and work, but I do see, I do see an appetite and I, I do see people moving their way along and recognizing it's not working what's currently going on and wanting to change it's counterculture though and it's still there's there's a whole billion dollar industry we could get into that too when we start talking about all the advertisers and people making us believe we need all of these things when it really comes to just time with ourselves. but i see i can see i can see a clearing i can see the path which is where it's somewhere I want to leave our guests as well, because it's not like all doom and gloom. The possibilities are there. We've got, we've, we've, I see it. I can see, I can see the pathway. What do you want to say about that, Marna? Yeah. Yeah. I can too. And I think what is both, um, what I'm utterly obsessed with is the idea that, um, so without, I know we've, we're finishing off, so I won't go too deep into the model that sits behind this, but what it shows is that really only about 3% of us reach our potential in terms of our, our current potential as humans. And I believe that that in and of itself is also expanding and expanding. But I think it's really important for us to understand that it's actually really recent that our lifespans have increased beyond kind of uh, half a century. It's very recent in our development as a species. And because of that, there are more development stages opening up for us as humans because our brains and bodies are just simply around longer. But unfortunately, we have so few places where the muscles that are needed to reach that develop developmental stage are in place. They, you know, often we can get to a place of self-reflection and awareness in these, in these places, but there's a step beyond that. And so, you know, what I want to say to high achieving folks out there, if you want to high achieve that there's a place you can go, you know, it just looks a little bit different from what we've been taught high achievement looks like. Um, and uh, I think that uh, 
we have, what excites me is that, to be honest with you, I don't see any doom and gloom at the end of the day. Um, there is so much possibility for us right now as a species. You know, we can look down the line at the challenges we're facing and go, okay, uh, there, are, there are definitely many people around the planet who understand that to be fit for purposes for the challenges we're facing, we need some, to do some work. And I think there are more and more and more organizations understanding that, that simply from a place of continuing to be competitive and stay alive in the, in the world that organizations are in is going to take something else uh, and that there's, there's more to do. So I'm excited. I'm hopeful. And I just think about all of the untapped potential that we have around the planet right now, especially yeah. from a female point of view. Yes. I want to see what kind of world we would create. Yeah. Because we don't actually know yeah. <laughs> right yes. now. Yes. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave a final thought. And what you just said right now is incredibly powerful. So you might say that's your final thought. But is there anything else if I were to say, you know, one one thought, one word of wisdom, one action to take forward, what, what shows up for you right now in this moment? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what in terms of uh, action to take forward, the most revolutionary thing that we can do is to bring consciousness to the moment we're actually experiencing, right? And and if if folks did that, and what I mean by consciousness is be in the moment you're experiencing. And for folks who are going from meeting to meeting and are in this noisy, noisy world even just taking 30 seconds to come into your body, to be aware of where you are, to take a conscious pause, to ask yourself, what do I want? Who do I want to show up as in the next hour? Who do I want to be? Before you go into your child's room, how do I want to show up right now? That is a revolutionary act and it's transformative and in and of itself can transform the moment you're experiencing. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, Morna, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, well, people can um, really at the at right now, the best place is to go to my LinkedIn profile, connect with me on LinkedIn uh, and uh, look out for our new global website. So my team and I are working on um, launching our ne- the next version of our global website. Um, And have a look at revolutionarywoman.global. Right now, that's where we're hosting our global table. So each month, uh, beginning this month, we're bringing women together from around the planet in these kinds of conversations so that folks can begin to experience what it feels like to be in this kind of environment and meet women from all across the planet who are leading change. So LinkedIn, revolutionarywoman.global. I have a Facebook. Just stalk me. <laughs> I Go love being thought. You won't you won't be disappointed. <laughs> you will not. Um Marna, thank you so much for being here for this conversation mm. today. Thank you, Kristen. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Everyone, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending lots of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.